Welcome to Come Follow Me with Bree, episode 183 through Resurrection Stories. Hello, I'm so glad you're here. All right, so it's kind of interesting to read the Come Follow Me chapters in the way that we do. In the past, when I have read the New Testament, I usually just, I'm reading Matthew, and then I'm reading Mark, and then I'm reading John, and then I'm reading Luke, except for I said those out of order. <laughs> but you know, you get what I mean. I'm reading the book as I read it. Um, but as I read it, the Come Follow Me way, I'm reading the same general events at the exact same time. So I'm skipping around to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and reading the same event over and over again. And one thing that is a little weird or confusing to read is the resurrection story because in some ways you're like, wait, this doesn't quite match up. It's a little confusing as to what happened when and what order things happened in and doesn't this conflict with this. So that's something that that I have been working on. I'm not going to go through the entire resurrection story. I am going to go through just the very beginning when they discover the tomb empty and then eventually Christ appears to Mary Magdalene. And we're going to talk about this portion of the account in each book and figure out how all of these events really fit together. One thing that really testifies of the truth of these records is that they are all slightly different. I've been reading a bunch of different websites talking about this. And if you talk to, say, a homicide detective, even if four, let's say four people, since we're talking about four people writing the four first four books of the New Testament, four people witness the same event. They are all going to have a slightly different version of the story. And that's because different people emphasize different portions of the story. Some people view themselves slightly different in the story. So a certain part of the story might be more important to them or more prominent to them because that was their part of the story that they were involved in. And people also can't focus on everything all at once. And so they might more completely understand a certain portion of the story than another portion, depending on their closeness to the event or the the opposite. Perhaps they were so close to a particular portion of the event that they missed kind of the, the peripheral of what was going on. So whenever a homicide detective comes to a scene, I know that it's ideal if they're able to, the officers responding will separate the people that were involved in the incident. And that is because they don't want them to have time to try to line up their stories. So if those witnesses haven't had time to line up their stories, what the homicide detective will then find is that he's getting four very different, but the same stories. So generally the main sequence of events will be the same, but the details will vary greatly. And this is a sign that it's an untampered story. The less of these variations that are present, the more likely it is that that story has been purposefully lined up in order to all be the same. Something else interesting that I learned is if the witnesses did have a chance to get together and try and line up their stories, the detectives say that they also can tell which details or some details that are really true because even when people have time to line up their stories and, and try to say about the same thing, 
there are some things that each witness won't be willing to let go of. And so they say when there is a difference to those stories that have been attempted to line up perfectly, they know that that is a particular detail that that witness isn't isn't quite willing to mentally let go of. And so most likely that is a true detail. Okay, so why are we talking about homicide <laughs> scenes and, and stories and witnesses? So the four gospels in the New Testament tell four of the same story, essentially. The same things happen. The, the resurrection itself was all portrayed as happening in the same order, essentially. Christ died. He was buried. Women came to the tomb. The, to, the stone was rolled away by angels. They found the tomb empty. They ran to go get the disciples. And then we could keep going. But all of the, the main portions of the story are true. And where we get some variation are the details. All right, let's start with Matthew in verse 1 of chapter 28. Verse 1 says, In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. So we have two details here that people say that there is some conflict when you read the other Gospels. So two details. One, it says, As it began to dawn toward the first day of the week. So here in Matthew, he specifies dawn. And then the second area, the second detail that we're going to talk about is Matthew specifies that it was Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. It also doesn't specify in Matthew exactly why they were going there. All right, next in Mark, it says, starting in verse one of Mark 16, and when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome had brought sweet spices that they might come and anoint him. And very early in the morning, the first day of the week, they came unto the sepulcher at the rising of the sun. So as far as the time of the day, it's about the same as Matthew. It's, he, Matthew says dawn and Mark says very early in the morning as the, the sun was rising. So dawn, right? And the second detail is who came to the sepulcher. Here we have three people, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and Salome. So Mark specifies two of the same people, the two Marys, and adds Salome. And then the third detail that he adds is he adds why they came. They brought sweet spices that they might come and anoint the body. And likely they, they did this because Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea previously did this kind of in a rush because the Sabbath was about to, to happen. And so they likely came to more thoroughly anoint his body, doing it more carefully and more properly and with more, more respect and, you know, the, take the time that typically they would take, assuming they had the time to do so. Okay, let's move on to Luke. Luke 24, verse 1. Now upon the first day of the week, so that's Sunday, the day after the Sabbath, very early in the morning, so still dawn, they came unto the sepulcher, bringing spices which they had prepared and certain others with them. So that's the only detail that Luke gives. So that coincides with Matthew and Mark. Came about dawn and they came to bring spices. Now, Luke in the beginning does not specify who came. However, later in the chapter, it's talking about who ran back to tell the disciples that 
what they had seen and heard and that the tomb was empty. And it does specify who came. It says it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna, the mother, Mary, the mother of James and other women that were with them, which told these things unto the apostles. So we have still the two Marys and then Luke adds Joanna. So, so far we've got the two Marys, Joanna and Salome. And then it says other women. So we don't know if Luke meant other women as in just Salome or if there were other women that we don't have record of. But these four women are the ones that are actually specified. Now, John is the most interesting one to me. John mostly focuses on Mary Magdalene and the fact that Simon Peter and him ran to the tomb and saw the tomb empty. Clearly, John was very much involved in in this process right here because Mary came and fetched him and Peter and then they came and saw the tomb empty. So it was a very firsthand experience as opposed to just being told that the tomb was empty. And so he chooses to to focus on Mary Magdalene who eventually came and told him and then the fact that he and Simon then came to run. And so to me that's a great testament that this is a true account because this person who was who was involved very much in the story of coming to the tomb, being told by Mary Magdalene and actually um, running to go see, he focuses on his firsthand account of it. And the first verse of John chapter 20 is actually um, a Joseph Smith translation. It says, The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early when it was yet dark under the sepulcher. So we're going to stop there because then we get some detail that we're not going to quite get into yet. But this is one of those things that that people have argument about or people who are trying to argue against the resurrection. They're saying, well, was it dawn or was it actually dark? But <laughs> I don't know if you guys have ever gone on a walk in the morning. Sometimes I leave when it's dark and then not too many minutes later, it's it's dawn or it's it's starting to get light. And so I can't imagine that the sepulcher was like right next to Mary Magdalene's house. And so we don't know exactly um, what time of day she left, but maybe when she left, it was dark. And then by the time she got there, it was dawn. And so those things don't really contradict. It's I think it's all about the same. And then as far as the people who were present, he says that Mary Magdalene came to the tomb, but that doesn't mean other people weren't with her. And he doesn't specify exactly why she came to the tomb, but that doesn't mean that that's not why. It just doesn't say why she came to the tomb. And like we're going to talk about in a few minutes, I think that likely Mary Magdalene ran and got John and Simon herself and that the women kind of split up to go tell the apostles. And so the person who told John was likely just Mary Magdalene. And so it makes sense that he would say Mary went to the tomb and not necessarily specify all the other women that he maybe didn't have direct contact in this moment about what had happened at the tomb. Okay, so the next detail that we are going to talk about in all four Gospels is one that I'm really excited about because one of the greatest controversies about the resurrection and people who are saying that it's not that's not a true story is a detail that we get fixed by the Joseph Smith translation. So the Joseph Smith translation of Matthew chapter 28, verse 2, it says, And behold, there had been, so first that's past tense. So the original translation, translation says, behold, there was a great earthquake for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven. So that makes it sound like the women arrived at the tomb 
And then an earthquake happened while they were there and the angels descended down as the earthquake was happening or right after the earthquake or whatever. But the Joseph Smith translation clarifies and it said there had been a great earthquake. So it doesn't say that or it doesn't imply anyway that the women actually witnessed the earthquake. For two angels of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. In the King James Version, this detail of two angels or one angel is different in each account. Some of the accounts just have one, some have two, but when you add in the Joseph Smith translation, there is two angels in every single account. Okay, continuing in Matthew 28, the Joseph Smith translation, verse 3. And their countenance was like lightning, and their raiment white as snow, and for fear of them the keepers did shake, and become as though they were dead. And the angels answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye, for we know that ye seek Jesus who was crucified. And then continuing to the King James Version, He is not here, for he is risen, as he said, Come and see the place where the Lord lay. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he goeth before you into Galilee, and there shall ye see him. Lo, I have told you. So this Matthew version is the only version where we get anything said about the guards. But again, that's just an additional detail that Matthew chose to include and the others did not. Okay, so let's move on to Mark. So Mark here, starting in verse 3, we have another Joseph Smith translation that clarifies that there were two angels, not just one, as is said in the King James Version. But when they looked, they saw that the stone was rolled away, for it was very great, and two angels sitting thereon, clothed in long white garments, and they were affrighted. But the angel said unto them, Be not affrighted. Ye seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. Behold the place where they laid him. And go your way. Tell his disciples and Peter that he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall ye see him as he said unto you. And they, entering into the sepulcher, saw the place where they laid Jesus. So that last verse, verse 6, where they go in and see the place where Jesus is laid, this verse is actually missing in Mark's account in the King James Bible. So it's so great that we now have that additional detail that Mark did include. Okay, Luke chapter 24. We have another Joseph Smith translation starting in verse 2. And they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher and two angels standing by it in shining garments. So in Luke's version, it actually did originally say two angels or two men. And they entered into the sepulcher and not finding the body of the Lord Jesus, they were much perplexed thereabout and were affrighted and bowed down their faces to the earth. But behold, the angel said unto them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? I love that question. Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. Okay, here the events are in a slightly different order, but it's totally plausible that Luke just kind of switched the order, or I don't know, maybe this is the actual order, but it's saying that they saw two angels, they went in, they didn't see the body, they were a little confused, and they were scared, and then the angels talked to them, whereas the other versions kind of put it the other way, where the angels talked to them, and then they say, hey, check it out, Jesus isn't in there. So that's really not an important um, distinction between them, it's just a matter of how the, the writer chose to tell the story. And then we get some slightly different things that the angel said. And I bet if you could go back in time and actually witness this event, that likely whatever the angel said is some version of what these four men told us they said. 
Just like, I mean, if <laughs> if I was at an event and somebody's like, what did Bishop Jones say? And I would have my own version of what he said. And the same is true here. Okay, so let's go to John. So John, like we said before, he really focuses on Mary Magdalene and then his his portion of that experience with Mary Magdalene and then Mary Magdalene by herself after. And so what he says about the angels is super brief. And that's, again, a Joseph Smith translation. And it says, um, she came to the sepulcher when it was yet dark and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulcher and two angels sitting thereon. Then she runneth and cometh to Simon Peter and to the other disciple, John, whom Jesus loved. So basically, same details. The stone was taken away and two angels were sitting thereon. Okay, so let's go to the next event in the story where the women run from there and tell the disciples. Let's start with Matthew 28, starting in verse 8. It says, And they departed quickly from the sepulcher with fear and great joy and did run to bring his disciples' word. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, All hail. And they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. Then said Jesus unto them, Be not afraid. Go tell my brethren that they go into Galilee, and there shall they see me. Okay, so details of that story. They departed quickly. They had high emotions. And then they saw Jesus. He says, Hi. And they came and they held him by the feet and worshipped him. Now, this contrasts with what we're going to read in a minute with Mary, where Jesus says, Touch me not. And we're going to talk about why that is. Then Jesus says to them, go tell the apostles that they that I will meet them in Galilee and that they will see me there. All right, let's move on to Mark 16, starting in verse 8. And they went out quickly and fled from the sepulcher, for they trembled and were amazed. So same details. Neither said they anything to any man, for they were afraid. Now, when Jesus was risen early the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven devils. So there... That's a little bit confusing because the first version in Matthew, it says that the women saw Jesus on the on the way to go tell the disciples. But then here it says he appeared first to Mary Magdalene. So that leads us to conclude that they these women didn't necessarily stay together. They went to the sepulcher to together, but they didn't necessarily stay together after that. And it makes sense because were the disciples likely all in the same spot? In fact, we get a Joseph Smith translation in verse 10 of John chapter 20. It says, Then the disciples went away again unto their own homes. That was changed from the King James Version that says, Then the disciples went away again into their own home. So why is that significant? They weren't all living in the same house. They were all kind of scattered throughout the town, right? So based on the sequence of events, it makes sense that Mary Magdalene ran. She got to a disciple way before any of the others. She ran and got Simon and John and took them back to the tomb and then saw the resurrected Lord after they left. And the other women, depending on where they needed to go, obviously saw the Lord after Mary Magdalene had already gotten Simon and John and seen the Lord. All right, let's read what Luke has to say, starting in verse 9. And returned from the sepulcher and told all these things unto the eleven and to all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and other women that were with them, which told these things unto the apostles. So again, it's saying that these four women went and told the, the apostles, but they weren't all in the same house. And so I think that Luke is just listing out the women that came and told the apostles. And Mary Magdalene was, was in that group of women who went and told the apostles, but it doesn't mean that they were all together. And their words seemed to them as idle tales 
and they believe them not. Oh, and actually, I skipped that part in Mark. So go back to Mark in verse 10. And she went and told them that had been with him as they mourned and wept. And they, when they had heard that he was alive and had been seen of her, believed not. So that detail remains consistent between Mark and Luke. And Matthew didn't mention it at all. And now when we go to John, we get a completely different version of it. Like we've, we've said, if this is John focusing on his firsthand experience. It says, starting in verse 2, Then she runneth, and cometh to Simon Peter, and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, and saith unto them, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulchre, and we know not where they have laid him. So obviously, they're still confused about what's happening. And isn't it so funny? I know that this is not a new thing to point out, but it's just funny. The other disciple whom Jesus loved and saith unto them, like that he would specify that he himself was a beloved of of Jesus over other people. And I think, I don't really know exactly what that means, but I think I like to imagine that he kind of is having a sense of humor here. And he's, he's you know, kind of like when you're saying to your mom, like, I'm your favorite. <laughs> okay, continuing on. Peter therefore went forth and that other disciple who is John, and I don't know why it's so funny now that he doesn't, he refer, he refers to Peter by name, but not um, himself by name. I don't know. And came to the sepulcher. So they ran both together and the other disciple did outrun Peter. So <laughs> not again, naming himself. He's saying I outran Peter, but he's not actually saying that and came first to the sepulcher. And he, stooping down, looking in, saw the linen clothes lying, yet he went not in. Then cometh Simon Peter following him, and went into the sepulchre, and seeth the linen clothes lie. And the napkin was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. Then went in also that other disciple, which came first to the sepulchre, and he saw and believed. For as yet they knew not the scripture, that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again unto their own homes. But Mary stood without at the sepulchre weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulchre, and seeth two angels in white, sitting the one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. And they say unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? She saith unto them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. And when she had thus said, she turned herself back, and saw Jesus standing, and knew not that it was Jesus. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said unto him, Sir, if thou have borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus saith unto her, Mary. She turned herself, and saith unto him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. Next we get some Joseph Smith translation, starting in verse 17. Jesus saith unto her, Hold me not. For I am not yet ascended unto my Father, but go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my Father and your Father, and to my God and your God. So the difference in that Joseph Smith translation is that Jesus said unto her, Hold me not, instead of touch me not, which could potentially solve some of the contradiction that some people point out, because the women on their way back to tell the disciples, they held onto Jesus' feet and worshiped him, whereas Mary was told, not to hold the savior. So there's kind of, you're like, why? Why could those women touch him and Mary couldn't touch him? In David J. Ridge's book, The New Testament Made Easier, this is what he says. He says, the Greek, which was translated as touch me not in our New Testament is often translated as do not hold me 
or do not hold on to me. The Greek word itself is harpazo, which is the continuous action of holding, defines it as fastening oneself to adhere to or cling to. Thus, it is possible, using the JST as a reference, that Jesus was in effect saying, don't keep holding me, I must leave. Whatever the case, we will certain get, certainly get clarification on it someday. And this was really interesting to me because I was on a non-LDS site and they actually referenced this as, as a way to kind of reconcile the two different accounts, not referencing the Joseph Smith translation, but referencing the Greek origin of the word, meaning more like holding, not just touching. The other way to interpret this, which is actually the way that I was more familiar with, is that the Lord hadn't actually ascended to his father yet and presented himself to his father, which he kind of says in there, he says, I am not yet ascended to my father. So perhaps the process wasn't wasn't complete. And so he wasn't supposed to be touched yet. And then by the time he went and met the other women, he already had ascended to his father, which anytime stuff like that happens, like this short Mary sees him and then the women see him, like how much time is there really between there? But I think about him ascending to the father and how time works differently for Heavenly Father. So I think actually a lot could have happened between when Mary saw him and the other women saw him. Okay, hopefully this was all interesting to you. I had a lot of fun piecing all of this together and trying to figure out which details were included in which story and how they all work together. And you can do it with the entire story. And if you want a project, that's something I definitely recommend you doing. It was kind of like a puzzle. It was fun. The last evidence that I want to talk about as as far as proving that these accounts are true accounts from from real people and they weren't just made up is the fact that women Women were the first witnesses of the resurrected Jesus Christ. Now, just personally, I think that's awesome. And I love that women were the first ones to see the resurrected Lord and that he, he chose them and that he, he loved them and cared for them and wanted to see them and gifted them with this incredible experience. And also then gifted us, me as a woman, this special scriptural experience that women got to have. Of course, we know that there are way more men talked about in the scriptures and way more main character men. But women were the first ones to see the resurrected Lord, literally the culmination of human history. When Jesus Christ was resurrected, he appeared to women. This reminded me of some thoughts that I read from Heather Farrell. She says, Have you ever noticed how in the scriptures men are always going up into the mountains to commune with the Lord? Yet in the scriptures we hardly ever hear of women going to the mountains. And we know why, right? Because the women were too busy keeping life going. They couldn't abandon babies, meals, homes, fires, gardens, and a thousand responsibilities to make the climb into the mountains. I was talking to a friend the other day saying that as a modern woman, I feel like I am never free enough for my responsibilities, never in a quiet enough or holy enough spot to have the type of communion I want with God. Her response floored me. That is why God comes to women. Men have to climb the mountains to meet God, but God comes to women wherever they are. Now, I disagree a little bit there. I think God comes to men too, but you get the, the idea. She continues, I have been pondering on her words for weeks and have searched my scriptures to see if what she said is true. God does indeed come to women, where they are, when they are doing their ordinary, everyday work, 
He meets them at the wells where they draw water for their families, in their homes, in their kitchens, in their gardens. He comes to them as they sit beside sickbeds, as they give birth, care for the elderly, and perform necessary mourning and burial rites. Even at the empty tomb, Mary was the first to witness Christ's resurrection. She was there because she was doing the womanly chore of properly preparing Christ's body for burial. In these seemingly mundane and ordinary tasks, these women of the scriptures found themselves face to face with divinity. So, if like me, you ever start to bemoan the fact that you don't have as much time to spend in the mountains with God as you would like, remember, God comes to women. He knows where we are and the burdens we carry. He sees us, and if we open our eyes and our hearts, we will see Him, even in the most ordinary places and in the most ordinary things. He lives. He is here. He cares. I love that she said, He is here. I think often I think of the Savior and I just want him to be here. I want the second coming to just hurry up and come and I want him to be here. But she reminds me here that he is here. He lives. He was resurrected. He overcame death and he is present in our lives. Isn't it cool to think that Jesus is doing something right now? He has a physical body. He takes up space somewhere. I don't know where he is, but he's somewhere. While on his mission, my brother said this, I testify that God speaks, not spoke. That, as Elder Holland stated, he is not as the pagan gods who sleep and must be awakened. He is aware of us and loves us. Jesus Christ is in the present tense for your life. He didn't only do the things we speak about in the past. He is currently doing things for you, working for your salvation. And as we struggle here on the earth, not knowing the answers to all the questions, all we need to do is stick around. My mom, Tani Kemp, wrote this about Mary. When Mary went early to the tomb, she was expecting to find the stones still in place. And when it was not, she ran to tell the news to Peter and John. They both came, saw the empty tomb, and went back home. It doesn't say why Mary stayed, but we do know she was experiencing deep grief because she stood outside the sepulcher weeping. Shortly after, she saw the resurrected Lord. She was the first to see him because she stayed. She stayed even though she didn't understand what was happening or what was going to happen or how all of the pieces of what she had been taught by the Savior fit. The tomb was empty, and yet she stayed. I think that there are some times in everybody's life when we offer everything we have and still feel that the tomb is empty. But Mary's experience is a testimony that the Savior will always come, and that when He does, He will call us by name like He did her, because He knows us, He knows who we are, our questions will be answered, our souls will be soothed, and everything will be more than generously fair, more than we can comprehend. I believe that with everything I am. Maybe sometimes in our unsettled moments, the problem is that we have mistaken him for the gardener. We might not be able to look him in the eye and talk to him or touch him in a tangible way right now, but it doesn't cancel the reality that he is there and that he does care. It boils down to what we are seeking. Do you trust God and the Savior, or do you trust your own judgment? And I'm always humbled by the question, art thou greater than he? I believe that in those times when I sit outside the empty tomb and weep in despair because I don't understand, that my questions will be answered and everything will eventually become clear because I stayed.
I say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.